Welcome to the Being Human podcast, brought to you by Relate Malaysia. Join us in our conversations about what makes us human and why we think and behave in the ways that we do. We'll talk about mental health, emotional well-being, and how we can sometimes feel on top of the world. And other times, like life calls for a large tub of ice cream and a big spoon. So come on in, relax, and let's explore this puzzle of being human together. Hello, and welcome to the Being Human podcast. My name is Dr. Chua Sukning, and today I'm joined by Dr. Reed Wilson, who'll be sharing his thoughts on obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, what it is, how it shows up in people, and what they can do to manage and overcome their OCD. Reed is a clinical psychologist who spent his entire 30-year career in the field of self-help for anxiety disorders and OCD, including authoring six books. His first book, Don't Panic, Taking Control of Anxiety Attacks, has become a bestseller classic. His second book, Stop Obsessing, How to Overcome Obsessions and Compulsions, co-authored by Dr. Edna Foa, was the first ever self-help book on exposure and response prevention for OCD. He has the longest running and largest free self-help site on the internet called anxieties.com, and that's plural anxieties. In 2014, he received the Anxiety and Depression Association of America's Highest Service Award, And in 2019, he received the highest service award by the International OCD Foundation. This January, he released his four-hour online course called OCD and the Six-Moment Game, Strategies and Tactics. Welcome to the show, Reed. How are you? I am fine. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Great. So um, I've trained in ERP and, you know, as I mentioned before, we started recording, it's, it works great if people are actually keen on it and, and it doesn't work great because many people aren't keen on it, you know, and here you are and in OCD, I think people generally see as a very difficult thing to overcome, but yet you wrote a self-help book on it as if, and, and only four hours, you know, it makes it seem so simple, you know, is it really that simple and can you really just overcome it in four hours? Well, the four-hour course is, is a way to get you oriented around what to do. It certainly comes with a workbook, and, you know, you've, you've got your work ahead of you um, after you have watched the course. But, but I think, yes, it's simple, and it's terribly difficult. So the approach is simple, we, and, and we need to understand that those of, of us who are mental health professionals, we need to understand that we have to pass things across to our clients. We can't, you know, the world cannot afford to have people come into individual treatment every single time they have another psychological event of Mm -hmm. whatever disorder they're working on. We, I think we have an obligation to, to pass on the knowledge, pass on the skill set, and help people metabolize what we share with them. So that that's really been my goal, which is is to get this information in the hands of of people who need it most, and then give them you know a sense of direction as they move through. 
OCD is can be a very tenacious, long-lasting chronic disorder. And so it's not like, oh, if you just follow these seven steps or whatever, you'll then get better. You know, it, it's tough, but we do have to have a model. And what I'm trying to do is just introduce a, a, a different model than other people have used. Yeah, I like what you said, because you said basically it's simple, but it's difficult to keep doing, right? But I, that, that's really key because, you know, we're mental health professionals and we're trying to get our clients on board. But if we start using our complex, you know, uh, technical terms, we lose out on, on they, they're not on board. And, and all we have done is kind of scare them because we tell them, you know, with ERP, exposure response prevention therapy, look, if you're scared of, you know, harming someone, what I want you to do is think about harming that person over and over and over and over again. And they're confused of why that would help. You know, that's the exact thing that they've been trying to avoid. So how do you get people on board, you know, to, to then tackle, even, you know, be willing to face their anxieties? As you and I both know, exposure and response prevention is the gold standard here in treatment of OCD, but it has a bad rap because people in general have a sense that they understand what the treatment's like. And the treatment is, I have to face the thing that scares me terribly. And then, so we have a certain percentage of people who need treatment who will not come into treatment because they have a simple framework of what the treatment's going to be like. So, so that has to be overcome in some way. I follow what we would call a step care model. And step care model means that you actually work with people with either a physical condition or, or a mental health condition. And that bottom step almost like a pyramid that you go up that bottom step is self-help is educating people is giving them an inexpensive relatively inexpensive way to understand what they need to do and my opinion is that framework should be structured from the very beginning and then move up the steps if needed. So a certain percentage of people, for instance, with OCD will, you know, find a self-help manual or a self-help book or something online and work through what they share with them. And a certain percentage of those people will get better from that. And if those who, who can't, they may go up that next level, which is, you know, self-help group or group treatment, and then up another level to individual treatment, but that the protocol follows them. And that's what I want to do with people to help them understand this is, you know, mental health disorder called OCD. We're going to personify that disorder and externalize it. You're in a relationship with this disorder. It is dominant. You are submissive right now because it has gotten into your head and confused you about what the real issue is. OCD tells you the issue is about your theme, your topic, your content, you know, whether it's contamination or checking or harm, whatever it may be. 
And that's delivered to you by the disorder. We have to understand the treatment of OCD has nothing to do with that theme. That theme has something to do with you. It's picked it because of how it would threaten you. So, you know, if a new mother has her little infant daughter and then thinks, I could harm her, you know, that's the perfect scenario for OCD. It has found something that that woman's going to react to, and then it gives her, kind of delivers her a compulsion, a ritual that she can do. So the obsession is what scares them. The compulsion or ritual is what they discover will take away that threat. Of course, it's only temporary. So, so that's really where we start is to frame it up like that. And then within that perspective, that framework, we start talking about what strategies you could use in that scene. It's really an interesting take because most of the time when you know we're, we're tackling OCD, we are focusing on the theme, right? And we, we build these exposure response exercises based on the theme. So if it's your, if it's height, and well, it's not phobias or height. So let's say it's about a new a mom with a new baby. It could be about touching things, you know, contamination. It could be about rituals, about how everything has to be checked. And our exercises to help someone is very specific to the content of the fear. And you're saying it actually doesn't matter. What the theme is, is not important for either the treatment or the success of the treatment. We shouldn't focus on, you know, on that itself. Yes, exactly right. Well, so first off, all treatment of OCD is going to be exposure-based, all of it. So we want to step toward the circumstances within which we're going to become obsessive. So we do go toward the theme and the theme, because it's based on the disorder, the theme is going to be specific. So we go toward the specific. Why? In order to experience the generic. So the specific is, oh my gosh, I don't know if I clean my hands properly or whatever. The mm-hmm. generic, you know, so I'm I'm uncertain. The context, the, yeah. The, right? And, and, and the generic is, wait, no, it's not about that. This is a disorder of uncertainty. It is distressing uncertainty. And so it's not uncertainty about contamination. It's uncertainty in general. And so we have to back up for a minute to say, before we even get there, we've got to, what I talk about is signals versus noise. So you're not going to do treatment with me on contamination if you truly believe that your hands are contaminated in those circumstances. So we have to figure out What's a signal, which means it's a problem. I'm responsible for helping solve the problem. It's going on now. I got to get to work on that. So that's problem solving. OCD is noise. OCD, the topics are nothing. But first we have to decide. So if I'm working on 
you know, how do I clean up or wash my hands while I'm cooking a meal for my family? I have people rely on rules. So here's how often I wash my hands when I'm cooking. Here's what I do with my cutting board after I've cut raw meat or fish and before I put vegetables on it. Here's how I do that. And we just set up rules that they follow because when you step into the circumstance, the, the threatening situation, as anybody knows in any threatening situation, your mind's going to turn to mush, right? Mm-hmm. So we got to have simple instructions, simple guidelines that we have worked out when we weren't in the middle of the moment of threat, that we use our logic, that we talk it through, that we tie that down. And then when we get into that circumstance, that's what we follow. We're like an automaton, an actor in the drama when we face the threat and no analysis, no, wait a minute, I'm not sure that's the right thing to do because we already know when we go stepping into the circumstance that threatens us, up comes our doubt. We can't allow our doubt at that moment to start second guessing our decision to face what it is that we fear. So you know, that's how we want to get started around all of this. And that's what I meant by we need them to metabolize this idea. They they do have to figure out signals and noise. And if my client goes, no, all of that's contaminated. I can't touch that stuff. As a therapist, I don't care. That's fine. If you don't want to work on that, you don't have to work on that. I can tell you the consequences of not facing that. I can explain that to you. But you know, it's the same with somebody right. who has a fear of flying. It's like, if you feel like planes are dangerous and you don't want to get on a plane, that's fine. Now, there are consequences. You know, you don't get to go to that wedding that you wanted to go to in the spring and your partner who has all those freaking flyer miles, you don't get to come with them. But the other piece that we want to develop to have some motivation is I want this. I want this. And that's a crazy kind of thing to try to sell to somebody. But wait a minute. I have to go through this process to get stronger. So, you know, the the first step is to go, here's the model of treatment. And I I think self-help should really be called self-help treatment, right? So here's the model that I am trusting will help me get stronger. So given that, now what I need is this kind of courage and determination and commitment to go toward what I don't want to go toward. I think the key selling point then is you're not telling them to go toward their worst fear. You're actually saying go toward this generic uncertainty, the distress and face it and learn to tolerate that. But you go toward your worst fear. Going towards it. But you don't. But it is. They do. They do have to face their worst fear because they don't know that yet, right? So to go do it, my Mm. worst fear is going to be popping up in my mind. So and I have to remind myself with that script that I already worked out that it's not about the content. Yeah, it's about the. This is just and the anxiety that sought an object, just trying to mess me up. 
get so me there's really there's up. really two yeah. there's really two sides of me there's the, mm-hmm. the the side of me that is victim to the disorder mm-hmm. and then there's the side of me who is therapeutic it's the side of me who's talking to you as the my therapist it's the side of me that's you know wanting to do these practices so we got those two sides of ourselves we cannot allow the side of us that's victim to the disorder to be in control she's going to show up she's going to be right there next to me but i i have to dominate that voice inside me so I'm really, you know, there's the resistance, right? We've got the the disorder that's coming at us, pounding away. And then we've got the side of us that feels insecure and uncertain and scared and worried that the worst thing that we can imagine is actually going to come true. So that's, you know, that's a big ask. And mm-hmm. that's why we have to get that side of us that's therapeutic to feel like she's got enough information. She's metabolized the information. It makes sense to her that she's doing what she wants to do, needs to do, and then she's willing to be courageous. I know this is a difficult and maybe probably an insane question to ask you, but you know, let's say for our listeners, they're like, okay, how long will it get me there? How long, is there an average time of metabolizing that information and persuading, you know, often we also get questions about, you know, my cousin has OCD or this one. I want to get them treatment, but it's going to be so long. Is, is, could we offer people some hope? Um, is there a time frame or how is you know how long it takes people to get ready for treatment? Here's what I think is more important. You know, if we're looking at the continuum, it goes from you know to back up for a second. I've got people who in 45 minutes understand what needs to happen. It's like a light bulb goes on and they go, oh, that, not this. And they are up like a phoenix. And then I have other people who are are just being pummeled by the disorder and doing just what they need to be doing, understanding what they need to be doing. But, you know, down it comes on them and really hurts them. What I want someone to focus on really is this position. It's a stance. It's an attitude. And it is, I don't care how long this disorder keeps coming at me. I am going to handle it this way. So I am not in control of what comes outside of me and tries to hurt me. I'm only in control of my responses. And so that is an attitude. And what I, again, back to paradox, if you adopt that point of view, then your work is going to end up being more efficient and you have a higher likelihood of getting where you need to go go. Because the other outcome, the other position is, if I just follow these, these rules, then I'm going to get better. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that's not working. I'm not feeling better. I, you know, and all of a sudden, they start to fade away. So, so my answer to you is, is more about, forget that question, you know, go, go toward taking on the task and committing yourself to it. It's something about that approach that reminds me of AA. 
you know, because you can't control the craving and you don't know when it comes up, but there's a determination that an individual takes to say no, you know, to the craving and to the thing. And, and this is, it, it, almost, it doesn't, it's, it could be very long and you could be having these voices or these sort of the, the, uh, the anxiety moments maybe for a very long time, maybe it will never go away. But the determination understands the attitude you're saying, that's what we can decide on. Right. And that's why, you know, sometimes I talk about what I do as persuasive therapy, Mm -hmm. because how do I get determination? Part of it is, of course, you know, again, as a a cognitive therapist, I'm going to do behavioral experiments with people. I'm not going, here's how you are going to get, well, I'm going to say, let's, you know, here's your position. Here's what I think you might want to play around with. Let's see if we can do an experiment between now and the next time I see you with this idea, this approach, this suggestion, and see what you notice. So then experience is the greatest teacher. That's, that's what we want. So if we can get them to, you know, that's the Just other way to out. metabolize it. It's, mm-hmm. it's you, you know, let me go out, you know, I can hear you. But as a therapist, I can talk till I'm blue in the face. I promise you I can. But if my client doesn't go out and gather some information and go, oh, isn't that interesting? I did this and then that changed over there. Then, okay, well, maybe I can do this. And there's that determination starting to be built. You know, one of the, the interventions that I do a lot with people is, is postponing. And you know, when we, if we think about postponing, what we're doing is we're going to throw the symptom cluster a bone. So I, I have my, you know, as a OCD t- tends to go, it tends to be obsession, uh, urge to do the compulsion, and then the compulsion. And we can get back to that AA comment that you made around craving, because I think that's exactly right, that we need to be paying attention to the craving. What do people do who are, are problem drinkers? When what It's not so much, oh boy, I can't wait till I have that other, that, that whiskey tonight. It is, I'm feeling craving and I want to get rid of this state, this state of mind. So I'm actually drinking around this, not because whiskey tastes so good to me. So back to the postponing. So, you know, it goes obsession, urge to do the ritual, then do the ritual. If we can put a wedge of time between my urge to do my ritual and my ritual, that's an interesting intervention because it's so impulsive, the, the, the acting on the urge. So if I go, oh, you know, I don't know that the door is actually locked, but I, you know, and now I got to do it again. I got to go back up to the door and I got to check the door again, make sure it's locked. If we go, okay, well, I'm not sure if the door is locked and However, I'm going to sit in my car for 10 minutes before I'm going to allow myself to get out of the car and go check the door again. So now I'm allowed to check it, but I'm going to sit and let time pass before I do it. So first is we've just changed the pattern. The pattern is 
instantly go back up. Now I put a wedge in there and I've insinuated myself into the domain of the disorder's pattern. So that's number one as the beginning of a shift. And the second is sometimes, which is really a fascinating experience, if I put that, so I'm, I'm guaranteeing the part of me that's a victim to the disorder. I'm guaranteeing that I'm going to get back and do that compulsion, just not now. So that side of us kind of allows it. Okay, I'll wait here, you know, but occasionally after that time goes by, I don't have the urge anymore. All of a sudden, and now what we've done is exposure and response prevention without the pain, without the suffering, without the struggle. So, so that's the other light bulb that we want. You know, somebody can go, oh, wow. So if I can just handle that immediate urge to satisfy my, my compulsion, then maybe I can get through this and I'll keep trying that. There seems to be a certain playful, I, I, I want to say playfulness, I don't know whether that's the best word, but, you know, like flexibility in the approach, you know, that a person can go, oh, let me, let me try this and let me try that. And, you know, sometimes when we're coming up with the, uh, the exposure response prevention plan, it's quite rigid. But over here is the, there, there's almost like quite empowering for the client to, to just decide, you know, how they want to tackle their, their obsessions. Exactly right in terms of the rigidity. Okay, well, it, it needs it to be in this particular structure, so I'm going to mess with that structure a little bit, and 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 then you know, kind of satisfy the structure, but also change it around a little bit. You know, in the order, you know, my my sequence of how I do my uh, ritual or or whatever. That you know, you started and saying, I don't know if I should call it a game or not. Well, I call it a mental game. I I call it that, and part of what you know, people go, well, God, this is a serious disorder and you're calling it a game. No, no, that's not what this is about. It's, it's like, let's get going. Let's get going. You know, the, the reason to talk about it as a game is that's a structure in which to understand what's going on. And then it's the f- quickest, most efficient way to go. You have to be in action. Let's get into action. And the last thing I would say about all this is I joke around a lot with folks. I not in any way to demean what they're feeling or or thinking or or to not take it seriously. But I am going to model some lightness here and some playfulness here, like you were saying. And and that kind of balances out the seriousness of what we also have to do. But it, it does instill a, a little sense of, I, I know enough about what I'm doing that I can joke around with you some. And that, yeah. I mean, it is true for me, and it's probably true for you of the, of the disorders that you specialize in. You know, if you've done it enough, then you kind of know where you're going to be going roughly, and you can bring some lightheartedness into it and not be so scared yourself. And that conveys confidence that the client can take from us. Right. Well, it's, it's less, you know, it's less intimidating for the client because ERP sessions can be very serious. You know, and a client's already come in because I'm dreading it. And here you are having that permission to 
play around and to try things. And yeah, it doesn't matter that maybe even you tell you, you don't need to forbid yourself from ever doing it. You know, you could tell yourself, let me delay it. And it's just, I think a lot more palatable to clients, you know, they're, they're more willing to, to go through it when they think, Oh, I don't have to, it's not so absolute, like, you know, from, from a hundred to zero, you know, it's not failure. If I, if I can't stop it at all. And, you know, it keeps their, their motivation and their momentum going in treatment. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, you know, it's moment. I, I talk about moments by moment. How do you, you know, I want people to be in the present moment. This is the other hook that OCD does. It moves you into the future. And if you can keep yourself in the present, that's going to give you more control. Why? Because the future is always uncertain for all of us. The next step forward is always into darkness. And so if the disorder can shift your attention to tomorrow, you know, or two, or two hours from now, then it's got you into a domain of uncertainty. So people will go, well, okay, I can withhold this ritual today, but Tomorrow, what I've got tomorrow? this big exam, you know, it takes all day. And if I haven't settled this, it's going to be on my mind and I could fail that exam. And that's really important to me. I might as well go do my ritual now. And so I'm taking care of myself tomorrow by doing this today. And that gets people off track as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So moment by moment, today is what you got to focus on. Today, take the stance. Tomorrow, when tomorrow comes, you can renew that that commitment, but don't worry about it now. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about moment by moment. We're talking about the next seconds, the next yes. few seconds. You mm -hmm. know, I, I, I really break it down into those six moments. And, you know, let me just tell you those six moments that I that I think about when try to convey to people. So we're talking about the first moment of these moments is you know, maybe I just walk through the kitchen without having to do anything, but my unconscious knows, boy, when I have to prepare a meal for the kitchen, that's a very distressing moment for me. And so just walking into an environment in which stimulates a memory of, of trouble, I can start to become aroused. So, and I don't even notice it consciously. That's moment one. Moment two is an obsession popping up oh my gosh, did I, you know, whatever it may be. That's moment two. Moment three is my re negative reaction to the fact that I just had that obsession. I, I'm more anxious. I'm, I'm worried. And, you know, it, and then it starts. So those three moments are not in our control. They are run by the disorder. They take place unconsciously and immediately they go by, you know, in a snap of a finger. Now, moment three, where I start getting upset about it, that moment can last a while. But nonetheless, we want to conceptualize those as, you know, we're, we're not worrying about those because that's none of our business. We can't control that. Moment four is what we do next, which is when I start down that path of obsessing, I want to step back and here's that mindfulness. Here's that word about act. I want to step back in that moment and go, oh, it's happening. Oh, oh, I'm doing it. Oh, there's my obsession. Whatever little, simple, efficient statement is 
that's uh, that's observing what's happening. So in that moment four is the platform on which to do your work. If you can't step back and recognize the problem, you can't do anything about the problem. So you step back and all you're doing is you're naming it. You're not doing anything other than naming it. That's, that's that first therapeutic moment. The next moment coming you know, right there is the decision to turn away from my theme turn away from it take my consciousness out of it take my struggle with it away from it and and we're going to have you know verbal cues to remind ourselves of that or just to reinforce that like none of my business or not going there i'm not thinking about that it's not about that you know if if people were seeing my hand like you are right now they'd be seeing my head turn away and my hand push away. I'm not, I'm, I'm out of here, right? So I'm turning away from my theme. I'm left with doubt and distress. Absolutely. And that's coming with me. And then moment six, the last moment is I turn my attention to something else. Now that may only last eight seconds or maybe it'll last an hour. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If I get to moment four and I go, oh, I'm obsessing. I've just won that moment. I won that moment. And we want to collect those. So it's not, you, you want your strategy to be moment by moment, I can win. If I can get to moment five going, no, no, I don't want to mess with that. I'm not talking about that. That's not my business. You win that moment. If you can engage your mind in something else right then, even if it's a simple thing, a silly thing, uh, whatever your mind can hold on to. You do some math problems. You track ants crawling on the across the sidewalk. You go back to your work. Whatever it is, you've won that moment. Now people will go. That sounds like distraction. You're not facing. That's the avoidance. Problem. Well, yes. but that's not true. Now you're fa- You know when you turn away from your content. What are you facing? You're now facing a question that you didn't answer. The obsession pops up in essence with a question or, you know, a fearful thought. And how are you going to fix this? And, and you don't answer it. So when you turn away and engage in something else, you're left with this unfinished business, which is generating threat and fear, anxiety and doubt. And now you're doing exposure. You're doing exposure that is pure exposure. You know, if I think I just, you know, some people come in to see me and they'll say, well, you know, my last therapist has been saying to me, you know, maybe I locked the door. Maybe I didn't. I can handle uncertainty. Well, to me, that's nuts to be teaching a client to say that because now I'm directing my client back to the content. And if you just extend that out a little bit, you go, oh, okay, well, one thing around the door, fine. Oh, maybe I just touched that child inappropriately and it's a sign that I'm truly a pedophile or maybe not, I can handle uncertainty. Who in the world can handle that? Maybe I just ran somebody over I knock them into the ditch and the high grass. They'll be dead by morning because no one will find them and it'll be my fault and my responsibility. Or maybe I didn't. 
I can handle uncertainty. So you see, you know, when you get to those extreme circumstances, no wonder our clients don't want to do that work. Right. right? The so that's too what we're trying to get them out of. Uh-huh. So your moment by moment thing, it's also not only like building clients' confidence, you know, that you can build their success, but it's also each thing is a changing the pattern, right? Yeah. Change, like a moment four, you've changed the pattern. You know, moment five, you've changed the pattern because that's within your control. You Absolutely. maybe cannot change one to three, but hey, four, five, six, you can do it. And it's yeah. it's winning each yeah. moment at a time, and you're getting and, yeah. and yes, and you know this is neurological. That's what we're we're really the bottom of all of this is neurological. In a simple way to describe it, our prefrontal cortex has been saying this is dangerous, and our amygdala, this that our panic button responds to that message and it fires off and it secretes epinephrine in the brain and and throughout the body. And now I'm aroused and I am scared. What we need to do over the long haul in the work is to train the amygdala that everything's okay and it doesn't need to react. And this is why we we have to say to people, once you understand whatever protocol you're using and how it can be helpful to you, you have to repeat, 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 because your amygdala is in the midbrain is trained to protect you. And it's not going to go, oh, she doesn't need any help right now. I won't secrete epinephrine. It's going to err on the side of there's danger and I'm going to protect you. And, and you've got to keep coming back over and over again. That's why, you know, the position that we're taking is I want this feeling. I'm looking for this feeling. I'm looking for opportunities. This is really what people should be saying. I'm looking for opportunities to become distressed about my theme and have that sense of, of uncertainty. And that's what needs to get conveyed neurologically over time. We will grow new neuropathways through repetition. We are pairing this message of, I want this with this terrible arousal. And over time, you know, neurons that fire together wire together. So we've got to have a, a conscious strategy that supports the healing of a mental health disorder. And that, you know, often I have to say that to people, wait, you're forgetting. This isn't about that. This is about you having a mental health disorder. We need to focus on the disorder. You keep focusing on this these little specific events and, and occurrences, and you have to go up one level of abstraction so we can get the work done. Okay, so we have to end, but thank you for the fascinating conversation. So my last question is, is this treatment program, which by the way, any of our listeners, if you are interested in checking it out, it's anxieties.com, the new four-hour online course called OCD and the six moment game strategies and techniques um, that this is a great way to get started on tackling OCD. But if you don't have OCD, but maybe you have, I don't know, preferences, 
could someone benefit from this course as well? Or is it, you know, really, as you said, self-help treatment? If you don't have OCD, I wouldn't be recommending you dive into a big program like this. But I certainly think you can take some ideas out of all of this without having to go through the intensity of it, which is, you know, you, it, it's a position that you take. It's like, okay, well, I've all of a sudden I've started to do this pattern and it's burning a little too much time. You know, every time before I walk out the door, presupposing people are back at work now, since you and I are talking at the end of maybe the pandemic for now, you know, I'm, every time I go to leave for work, I'm checking through my briefcase for seven or eight minutes to make sure I've got everything I need. That's annoying. I'm going to figure out a way to work on that. And so even if it's just chipping away at something small, if you go, I'm doing something that's unnecessary, but I am feeling compelled to do it, then you can take on some of these strategies. And, yeah. and, but even in that little simple example, you've got to be able to say to yourself, you know, I do this every day and I've never found anything missing. Uh, okay, well, three weeks ago, one small thing, I don't need to be checking like this. I'm going to take the risk. And I'm going to feel a little nervous as I go out the door because I'm leaving now and I won't be back until this afternoon, you know, late this afternoon. And, and maybe I've forgotten something. Oh, well, I'm willing to take that risk in order to get over this kind of compulsive behavior right now. So, so those are the kinds of things you can, can mess with once you kind of figure it out, I'm doing this. It's not necessary. I don't want to do it anymore. Right. Because, you know, OCD, as you said, is a mental uh, disorder. But I think what's more common is we all have a little bit of obsessions and we all have a little bit of compulsions. And if you feel like, man, I'm ready to give that up, you know, the strategies that we talked about today is certainly very helpful. And even in just understanding anxieties, you know, and how to tackle it and what, you know, these you know, signals versus noise me. You don't have to shut everything up, but it's good to start discerning, you know, what's what. What do you actually need to pay attention to? You know, which kind of alert button it says you can turn it off and which you have to then have to act on now, you know. So I highly recommend um, his course and he has other resources available on his website. If you guys are interested in checking it out, um, please go there. So thank you, Reed, for sharing with us and being so passionate about this. You've certainly persuaded me um, about your model. Um, I, I just really think it's very helpful because OCD can be so detrimental. And this is a way for just setting people free, you know, in, in not being shackled to, to the, you know, the commandments of that, that uh, dominant monster. Well, thank you for letting me expound on all of this. I do get wound up a little bit trying to convey all of this. So thank you it's for great. tolerating me. We need the energy and, and hopefully, you know, our listeners will take those steps to uh, tackle any obsessions or compulsions they may have in their lives. And thank you for listening to this episode of Being Human. We'll be hosting guests on a regular basis. So be sure to tune in on some more insights on how we can understand ourselves better and learn to live a life on our own terms and one that's meaningful to us. My name is Dr. Chua Sukning, and I look forward to sharing some more valuable insights from the world of mental health with you very soon. Thank you for listening to the Being Human podcast. To find out more about Relate Malaysia's online therapy services, visit us at www.relate.com.my. 
or email us at inquires at relate.com.my. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, remember, we are all more human than we are otherwise. Be kind to yourself and take care.